Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Beef Up Front podcast. This is your host, Ryan Coyle, uh, joined today by a special guest. As football season begins to wind down, we are going to have a lot more basketball content coming here on Beef Up Front. And today I'm joined by TJ Farrick, uh, a basketball coach at Swarthmore College, Division Three, one of the best programs in the country, uh, as, well of a pl- as well as a player development coach. Welcome to the show, TJ, and how you doing? Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me on. Um, I'm doing well. Doing well. Uh, so I briefly introduced yourself, but do you just kind of want to go into kind of your basketball journey and, and what you're doing in the basketball world at the moment? Yeah, sure. So, uh, like you said, I'm, I'm an assistant, um, men's basketball coach at Swarthmore College. This would be my second year, um, but, uh, our season was canceled. So 2019, 2020 was my first year, uh, on the college level. Um, for that, I coached, uh, high school for seven years uh, at Penn Charter. Um, I was the head JV coach, uh, an assistant varsity coach for seven years. Um, I coached our middle school team for a year after that. Um, and then I got a, the position at SWAT. Uh, I still teach at Penn Charter, 10th and 12th grade English. Um, this is my 10th year. And uh, I also, like you said, I'm a, I, I'm a trainer um, and I coach with uh, PSB Philly. Uh, this, I'll be coaching the 16U team this year. So really, I'm uh, I'm all over the place. Oh, I'm also assistant coaching with our girls basketball team this year at Venture. Huh. So yeah, so that's me. Yeah, cool. um, a lot of stuff you. here. Uh, What's that? But this interview, this interview is going to be a little bit different than what we usually do when we have our coaches on. We're going to really tap into TJ's mind on specific basketball stuff, uh, a lot of mental stuff, physical stuff. So look forward to a good show here, guys. Uh, first question for you, TJ. As a coach and a trainer, how much do you personally value players working on their skills and their on-court activities compared to something like a strength and conditioning work? So I'll, um, I'm going to answer this question in kind of a long-winded way, perhaps, and I'm going to go back to the question about the journey. So I, I gave you the, the kind of um, the rundown of the, or the resume or whatever. Um, but really I would, I would say that my journey with regards to skill and player development, uh, it started on December 28th, 2017. Um, and back then I was, I was an assistant coach for, uh, assistant coaching Ben Charter. We were in Wildwood, New Jersey. Um, and there was a moment in a game against Cherokee high school where the ball got tipped out of bounds. Uh, It was a third quarter, kind of tight game. And all by myself and the two other assistant coaches on the bench, we're all kind of yelling something different to a player on the floor. And uh, the head coach, Flip, um, who is my guy, uh, turned around and he, and he, he yelled at us. Uh, and he said, we have to coach it in practice. We have to either say coach or teach it in practice. Um, and so that was, that, was, um, that was a moment where I was mad at the time. Uh, it was embarrassing that the, you know, the, all the players heard. He was yelling at all of us, really. Um, we ended up winning the game, which is cool. Uh, and then on the ride home, I had some time to kind of reflect on that because uh, I was driving back from Wildwood to Philly um, by myself, basically. There were two players in the car that were about to sleep, though, or in the back of the van. Um, so I kind of went through these different emotions. And what I realized at the end of that was uh, maybe I don't really know how to teach basketball. Um, and so what I did uh, for our next game, which was the next day, um, was that I changed everything. And I, I didn't have control of practice because I was the JV coach. 
but I control what I can do in the game. So I changed my entire approach to, to coaching the games um, and basically focused on what is my job as the JV coach, uh, which is to, I, I think, develop players for varsity. Um, and basically, I made some rules there, and I, I, I changed my approach completely and stopped caring really about winning and more about development. But that was that was the moment that kind of set me off on this journey to understand skill and player development. Um, and so back to your question, Ryan, it was um, how do I value working on skills and on-court activities compared to strength and conditioning work? Um, the first thing I would say there is that traditional skill work um, – and I would say conditioning, although I'll just start with traditional skill work, is I think highly overrated uh, in, the, in the basketball world. I think when I was growing up and probably when you were growing up too, the same messaging at, at camps and clinics and from your coaches, like you have to be in the gym um, or on the court early in the morning, late to late at night, um, you know, getting shots up. And that, that constituted working in your game. Um, and what I've learned over the last – well, I guess this would be like three-year mark now. What I've learned is that skill acquisition and skill development is is far more um, complex than that, I guess. Uh, well, I guess it's not really more complex. It's just like that will only get you so far the, the, on, the, on the court by yourself getting shots mm -hmm. up. Uh, and the traditional on-air skill development, and by on-air I mean like without a defender, without any kind of decision cues, that that's a suboptimal way to, to build and acquire skill. Um, and that development of, you know, this, the basic skills of basketball, shooting, dribbling, passing, finishing, um, can be approached or should be approached in a, in a different way than uh, I approached them in my playing career and, and in, in the early part of my coaching career. And probably maybe even then we are approaching them right now. So, um, how much do I value skill on-court activities compared to strength and conditioning work? I think that um, the the strength the, the strength work and the movement and specifically like appropriate movement work is kind of um, something that I've been trying to understand better over the last few years. When you say strength and conditioning work, like what, what kind of stuff do you envision? I'm uh, just basically getting stronger, more explosive, uh, just because personally speaking um, in the off season, I would go to a guy and work on that stuff just with that. And then I do all the basketball stuff with my team, but focusing more so on the explosive stuff, getting more athletic stuff of that nature. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that the ex explosion, uh, building like more range of movement um, and self organization options, like that's, Super important. The traditional strength training, like benching, um, heavy squatting, stuff like that. I, I'm not super well versed in this, but I I don't put a ton of value in that for basketball, um, like traditional weight training. Um, but there there's a place for it, obviously. And then when you say you did like skill stuff with your team, like what what is what does that look like? That's what I'm curious about. Well, that that's that's where it gets hard. That's where I always personally valued more so one-on-one -on -one workouts because you're getting your more reps in and stuff. But when you're in those team drills where driving kicks, shooting, going off ball screens, working on reads, stuff like that. Right. And so the, the thing that I've like, I guess discovered about the skill work and I, this is a long, again, this is a long winded answer because my findings about like skill development uh, have been that 
the way that we do it uh, is not, or the way that it's been done is not um, the most optimal way. But mm-hmm. the uh, basically is that when you're playing basketball, what you're doing is you're reacting to things outside of yourself, right? And so when you execute a skill, such as a crossover, um, in a game, what you're doing is you're reacting to a defender or you're reacting to some external element that makes you cross it over. So drilling a crossover without any defender um, only has so much transfer to a game. So um, I think that players spend hours and hours on the court because they're, they're kind of told to, that they, that's what they need to do mm-hmm. uh, in that kind of on-air skill training. Um, and to me, that's overrated. All right. Uh, so over the past few years, as you said, you've really dug deep into researching and, and learning about how to teach the game better. What's one thing that you think you've really focused in on uh, on the player development side to get the most out of your players? Um, so, the, so the one one skill area, and again, I would break the skill areas simply down into um, shooting, passing, dribbling, maybe finishing you could add it there and then i guess defense uh the one the one skill area that i've focused on learning the most about is shooting um and I, I don't know if you've had this experience i think like most people probably have um but this is a huge pet peeve of mine when, when a coach or an adult walks into a gym and, and sees a kid shooting uh, and basically like just starts instructing the kid on the proper technique has that ever happened to you mm-hmm. yeah yeah um and that, that's a huge pet peeve for me because I, I uh, think a lot of the fundamentals that we teach with, with regards to shooting um, are, again, like old ideas. Uh, uh-huh. Ten toes towards the rim, uh, elbow in, um, things like that uh, kind of um, are observational things that you can observe a player doing and then missing shots uh or like the guide hand um i think that all of that is just more nuanced um than than people realize but also shooting is more also more simple than people realize as well um and that's what i've over the last three years like really trying to understand shooting development that's what i've um that's what i've discussed like that's what i've come to is that like when you're shooting you're trying to move the ball in a way that takes it from wherever you you catch it up your body into the air and through the basket, right? Like the goal is to put the ball in the basket. Um, So we can observe like similar characteristics uh, in people who are especially like proficient in doing that, but it doesn't mean that everyone is going to execute that skill in the same way. And so there are lots of, I don't know, arguments or disagreements but with regards to those like little characteristics of shooting um, when really at the end of the day, like shooting is you are trying to take the ball and put it in the basket. And so there are, there are some like, there are some principles about how you can do that. Um, but a lot of the things that we focus on with shooting um, it, as coaches, uh, it, and and we tell players to focus on first of all we tell, we tell them to focus on too many things at once right so bend your knees back straight eyes on the rim follow through four instructional cues for one shot 
<laughs> Which one of those would you focus on if I told you that? Bend the um, knees. Pers personally, bend the knees, yeah. Bend the knees, right. Mm -hmm. um, and so that what all that is called is is internal attentional focus. So when I say bend your knees back straight, eyes on the rim, snap your wrist, all of that is directing you to your attention. Well, first of all, it's too much direction, and it's, it's in the wrong direction. Because again, what we're trying to do is put the ball in the basket, and all of those instructions are leading you back to yourself, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so you're focused on your knees, you're focused on your back, focus on your eyes, you're focused on your wrist, which you can't focus on all four of those things at once. And you're not focused on the task. And the task is put the ball in the basket. Um, so so that's, that's one thing that, that I kind of started with. Or I learned that very early on, this idea of internal attentional focus and how when we're, as coaches, when we're doing skill instruction, um, if we are instructing at all, the, the focus should be external, right? Uh, it should be the, the execution of the task rather than all of these focuses on your body. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you want to hear more about that, but that's, I, that's the one thing that I've, the one skill area that I've focused on the most is shooting mm -hmm. development. And I feel like I've come, at first I, I, I didn't want to touch the top of a player's shot for like a year and a half, because I thought that, you know, maybe I wasn't, uh, my, my, understanding wasn't developed enough um and then i started you know doing more individual shooting focus workouts and i think in addition to learning from other people and at this point i think I'm, i've gotten pretty good yeah the next question kind of goes hand in hand with that it's in terms of like the cerebral nature that, that it takes to play basketball and then the physical side as a coach and as a player developer do you value more kind of do you think it's more important to have a kid sit in a, in a room with you and, and watch Chris Paul break down screens? Or do you think it's more important to get him out on the court and teach him how to do it personally out on the floor? Good. So the, I would answer definitely the second one, right? Um, but I would also say the way in which you teach – way in which coaches teach is something that I, that, that that's a topic that I kind of want to expand upon. So when you, when you say get him out on the floor and teach him, what does that look like? So, I mean, the old fashioned, there's the old fashioned off the chair, but then you can also get, you know, three on three out there and just go through reads with players. Cause that's what we, back in high school, we would do. We would figure out the different reads or whether it's he goes under you got to pull it he goes oh he hedges it you got to drag it out stuff like that but then you could also also just watch youtube clips you could watch your own game film and break that down but i was just kind of wondering what you think about that yeah i mean i think i think everything every answer that i give you will be well not every answer like this one it's definitely it starts on the court um because what a what a ball screen play is is you are presented with, like, not even a problem, but you're presented with something by the defense, and you have to find a, the best solution to that as a player. And so when, when we think about teaching, what we most often think about as coaches is instruction, right? So, like, I would tell you, like, like, and I would show you probably, too, like, when this guy goes under the screen, you have to pull up. Uh, if he's going over it and they're not hedging, 
and, and coaches try to kind of teach that all at once. What I would, what I would do is I would create a game in which ball screens were happening. So three on three, right. Um, pass the ball across the top. Uh, it has to start with a ball screen on the wing. I would create that game and then let, let them play for a while. Um, and try to let them figure these things out by themselves. Because when you figure something out by yourself, that is learning. And, and I think what we forget as coaches, because we, want to be, we all want to be teachers of the game, what we forget as coaches is, is the goal of, learn, of teaching, right? Which is learning, that players learn. Um, and the best way for players to learn is to be put in those situations and to have to, have to figure them out themselves. Um, yeah. Like for example, Seven times seven is 49. What is five or what is six times eight? 48. Is it? I don't even know. I'm an English teacher. Is it 48? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's seven times seven? 49. Okay. I think that wasn't a very good example. <laughs> but basically, like, when you're, when, when I, t if I tell you the answer to a math problem, rather than giving you one and having you answer it, you'll likely be able to retain the answer better in the future, which is what yeah. learning is. Um, and so I could show, I could through like quote unquote traditional teaching and instruction, show you all these different options, even get out in the court and show you all these different options of the ball screen. But the way I approach it now is through the games approach and it's just playing the game. And then after a while I start to stop and instruct. And I, I my rule with that on most age levels is like three um, quote unquote mistakes. Right. Like, so three, if there are three times in a row when um, a guy goes way under the ball screen and, and, the, and the player doesn't shoot, um, then I'll stop and, and instruct. Makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I, I, I hate to, I don't know, ask you questions because I'm the one on. <laughs> but as a, as a player, what has your experience been with regards to like learning? concepts like that right so like there are three there's there's like the action or skill like shooting dribbling passing uh but they're also like learning concepts what is your experience meant with learning concepts like how to use a ball screen well one thing that just pops into my head is in high school my coach would always emphasize the jump stop because at, i was 5'10 5'11 in high school i wasn't able to finish at the rim in front of these people all the time but Sometimes I'd be able to get away with it, but then sometimes it would lead to a blocked shot. If I didn't jump stop, it would lead to a blocked shot or, you know, jumping in the air, throwing a pass for a turnover. So it would get to the point where if I didn't, if I messed up twice in a row going in and didn't do the jump stop, then I'd be pulled and I have to go back in and do a jump stop or, you know, it, it wouldn't be good the next day at practice. Mm, right. Yeah. And, and when, when you did jump stops at practice, would it be against defense or would it be on air it would he would really emphasize it when we would do our team offensive uh like running our plays and running even if it was just five on oh and stuff they would really emphasize getting the jump stop like into the middle of the into the middle of the paint right yeah and i think i mean that's that's the way i would do it too at least for like a little while the, the mm -hmm. thing that that i learned and again this is like called the games approach to coaching is you can start on air, but as soon as you've learned what you need to learn from the on-air thing, like 5-on-0, 1-on-0, 3-on-0, progress as quickly as possible to live. Um, yep. 
because that's when the real learning happens. Um, I, uh, I mean, I've watched a few practices over the last, uh, like a little bit this summer and recently where like the, there's just, there's an hour of five on oh, an hour. Um, and at a certain point, like, I mean, at a certain level, like you had to play, (laughs) I think, I think lowest level you have to play. And so what, what was happening there is you could do all those jump stops on air in practice, but then you got in a game, it didn't transfer. And so Mm -hmm. that to me is the goal of teaching or coaching is it in practice, like practice is the classroom. And in the classroom, I'm taking myself out of the middle as soon as possible. Like, I'm not in the center. I'm not the one talking. Mm-hmm. The learning is happening there. And the, is it translating to the game is the question I'm, I'm asking. And if it's yeah. not, then I have, to go back and, I have to go back and think about how I can better teach what it is that I want to teach. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think we try to teach too many things, and we teach them uh, the wrong way because the teacher is in the center rather than the student and the student's yeah. learning. But I, don't, I guess I, I, I went on a tangent there, but um, that's one thing that's been on my mind lately. But you asked about psychology or uh, cerebral nature, right? Yeah. You basically pretty much summed it up with the you have to get out there and play live, but you have to be taught it as well and, and you kind of teach yourself, which I, I think is definitely an interesting thing. But another thing that as a player myself that I've really always thought about is what are your thoughts on building on a player's strengths more instead of focusing on developing their weaknesses? And, and when I say that, throughout like my career, I've never been a really good uh, outside shooter. I've been more of someone who could get into the paint and either you know score for myself or create for others. So if you were working with a player like me, would you try and focus, because this is what my coaches have tried to focus on, developing my outside game more or making sure you know i can finish at every angle in the lane i can hit floaters i can get in pass pass out the shooters with both hands stuff like that what are your thoughts on like that kind of development so because i I really like this question and the and the example you were you aren't a really good shooter and your coaches try to teach you all the finishing stuff or is the other way around I'm not a very good shooter, and they've always they've always tried to develop my my shooting more outside. Okay, rather than trying to develop more ways for you to execute your strength, which is driving in the lane and that yeah, stuff. like that's what like specifically speaking from my perspective. But like, if another example, if you have just a guy who's a, a pure knockdown three point shooter, mm-hmm. but he lacks the ability to you know dribble, turn the corner, get into the lane, focusing on developing him getting into the lane more or finding ways for him to you know come off screens uh, pull up threes just focus on a strength instead of develop those weaknesses more yeah i mean i think the answer to that depends on uh the age and level you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. if a if a kid is a really good driver and finisher at 13 uh, but he can't shoot um Mm -hmm. you're gonna want to try to develop that kid shooting Uh, and i think that's the age at which shooting development begins to happen anyway, like 12, 13, because that's when you're strong enough to actually shoot with, with the kind of form that will be going forward. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think with like that, with the, with a kid that age, like 13 year old, middle, you know, end of middle school ish, early high school. Um, if he can't shoot and he's a guard, uh, like the shots gotta, he, 
and I'm doing individual training, right? Like mm-hmm. it's got to be shooting focused. Um, but if if we're talking about a college player, um, like, and let's take a kid like you said who is a knockdown shooter, um, the development is going to be less ple- like focused on a broad range of skills and more on like where do you fit in your team at present, and how can we make you more valuable within the team? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so. Um, if like I'm thinking now of um our best shooter Connor, like if we could try to develop Connor's uh, like dribble dribbling game, uh, but that that just doesn't fit within our team. So that would be almost yeah. Not it wouldn't be time wasted. It would just be uh, it's not his role for us, and that's not what he already does really well. And he's going to be a senior next year. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like at at this point in guys' careers, like. I agree with you with the uh, the age. Like when you're younger, you want to develop everything, but at this point, kind of you are what you are, really. And, and I think you should focus on wh- what I'm saying is focus on what your strength is and what you really bring to the team, and just make that as strong as possible. Right. And I think a lot of things that one thing that we for, forget pretty often as like trainers is that basketball is a team game, right? Because like, mm-hmm. we work with kids individually, and it's like, all right, well, we want to and we think just about skill in the abstract, right? Like dribbling skills, like good dribblers, good, good passers, good finishers, good shooters. Like we want to make you into all four of those things or something, but um, skill only exists within context and, and, and within the, and then at a certain level, like I said, like within the context of how you're going to play uh, for your team, or like, if we're thinking about a high school kid, like what role are are you going to be playing on the next level? Um, and then what what skills do you need to have for that role like um that's uh that i think to me is is a uh, pretty key to identify before we start to do any work well the thing that i like to do when i when i uh work out players not even for the first time but like every time i just ask what are two things you want to work on um yeah. because you know better than i do right <laughs> like uh-huh well, yeah, uh, you're going into what year at Misericordia? I'm a junior right now. Gotcha. And and so, like, what what are the things that you would like to work on? Well, I mean, that that's what I'm. That's what I always get torn torn apart because I I know if I want to play more, I would have I have to make more outside shots. But at the same time, when I get in the game, I know that I'm not really going to be shooting that many outside shots. So I like to focus on my ball handling and things getting into the lane and making floaters over taller defenders, stuff like that, that I'm actually, I know that I will do if and when I get in the game. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that, that, I think that totally makes sense. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I think that uh, my, my broad answer to that question is like, it really depends on age. Um, mm-hmm. And then at a certain level, like if we think about late high school and a kid who is going to be a college player or wants to be a college player, then we think, I think I start to think about, all right, what role are you going to play in college and what things do you need for that role? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I always, I mean, one of the reasons I focused on shooting so much in, in like the three years is because I, I think that it, of all the four skills or whatever, however many you want to identify, I think it's the most, not necessarily the most important one, but like, Bat, you got to put you, the ball on the If basket. you can make shots, you're going to play. 
Exactly. So like so that, and I wanted to get those since I was following. You can be outside shots. You can play. You can play anywhere. Yeah, and in any position too. Like so. Um, yep. That's kind of why I tried to get good at understanding it and then attacking the mm-hmm. development. Because like with any player in any workout, like you can always do shooting. You know. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so what are your thoughts on the analytical side of the game uh, in, in recent years over the past decade or so? Really encouraging kind of only shooting layups and three-pointers and finding ways to eliminate the mid-range jump shot. But then, you know, watching even just in the NBA bubble, guys like Jimmy Butler, CJ McCollum excelling down the stretch with those mid-range jump shots. Uh, what is, like, is your approach and through the research you've done, have you found anything? Uh, that proves that it's narrative false. Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, I think what you just said, like, trust your eyes, right? Like, <laughs> the, uh, in the, I mean, if we're thinking, let's just think about the NBA, um, off the dribble shooting uh, in the mid range, um, while it's not something that's, uh, you know, encouraged for the first, three and a half quarters of the game and in the, the end of the fourth quarter a lot of times those are the shots you, you get and so to have a guy and then again just speaking about the NBA to have a, a guy on your team who can do that uh, who can create those shots and make them um that is a valuable commodity uh and and with the way NBA teams are playing you know the pick and roll now and i i i believe that the that shooting range will start to extend out to really far <laughs> um i think that that mid-range um mid-range shooting is it won't become like an outlier skill it'll be a more um it'll be something that's that's coveted it already is coveted like like off the dribble off the dribble mid-range um a guy who can make shots at an efficient level that's seems like things are trending back in that direction perhaps obviously people are shooting probably more threes than ever um but if you're thinking about what's going to give you a competitive advantage um guys like jimmy butler um cj mccollum uh <laughs> anthony davis I mean, he's pretty yeah. good in the middle a different kind of player obviously uh, Tyler Hero, um, those kind of guys are, and that that skill set is um, becoming, I think, more highly valued because everyone is just either you know protecting the rim slash uh, mm-hmm. you know out running to, people you know, off the three point line exactly running people off the line or or um, or they're in drop they're in like big drop coverage where out to 35 feet where like the guards going over screens at 35 feet so you know um i think that i think the mid-range will in terms in terms of like off the dribble shooting will certainly be more prevalent in the years to come and we've already seen it right like why i mean Kawhi leonard you can look back yep. back to him that's <laughs> that's um now on the on the lower levels um I don't know. I don't know. It's, uh, I still don't think 
some high school teams shooting up threes. Uh, yeah. And even some college teams. Um, one thing I've noticed about in coaching girls, and I was just watching a Connecticut-Tennessee game today, is in the Connecticut-Tennessee game today, when they catch on three, like, they're not putting it up in the same way that, like, right away, just like, you know, a lot of college teams would. Um, mm-hmm. that, maybe that will that, – the women's game will develop in, in the way that catch on three and you're, you're even slightly open, like it's going up. So I don't know. That's that's my that's my long-winded answer. In the NBA, I think it'll be highly coveted. Uh, it already is highly coveted on the lower levels, especially high school. Like I think that uh, like people should be shooting more threes. <laughs> so yeah, it's new. I mean, I think you can. For most high schools, at least, still it's no shot clock, so you can kind of take your time, run your offense. Instead, mm-hmm. there's three in the NBA and college. The pace of the game is so much faster. But uh, I just have one, one more question for you. don't know how much you, you would do this with uh, you know, evaluating college players for the draft and whatnot, uh, but something I kind of wanted to ask you about. As an evaluator, guys slip through the cracks all the time. Uh, a guy that we see in Philadelphia is Shake Milton. This is really only his second year getting consistent minutes in the NBA, uh, and he was the 54th pick in the draft, but he's averaging 16.8 points per game this year and has several 20 20- – 20-plus point game. So a guy like that who wasn't really a star player in college and a lot of people who were drafted before him don't really have a role and are barely playing any minutes, but here he is. How do you think guys like him slip through the cracks and perform this well at the highest level? Um, so I think this is a great question. And I think the only, I have two answers to it, and, and they both have to do with something we've, we've already talked about. What the the first one is that um I think that uh, uh first of all I, I I um it's not a case of draft evaluators and NBA teams not knowing who these guys are um mm-hmm. I I did a little freelance work with a um draft guide uh, for the 2020 draft and you would be shocked how many players are in that <laughs> are in that draft guide you know what I mean like it's like yeah. they, like, they're they're looking at everyone, um, and they're you know they have a whole hundred pages of guys who are never going to even come close to the NBA. So like, NBA teams are looking at these guys, but I think it partially partially is a case of scouting departments and franchises um, not looking not projecting ahead to the skills that or the skills or the parts of the game that will be coveted in the positions that they're drafting for like like a guard like shake milton off ball guard or whatever um i mean shake like he's been so good because he fits within our team context as this guy who can like create his own shot essentially right um Mm -hmm. and some scouts and evaluators when they look at a guy like shake they might see something different than like a guy who is valuable because he can create his own shot. They might see like a guy who's stuck between two positions or a guy who's, um, you know, needs to develop his body or uh, who isn't, you know, a great three point shooter off the catch. Um, so he can't be a shooting guard. You know what I mean? Like it's just like, yeah, they're, they're not. Some, not all of them, obviously, but like 
get these guys slipped through the cracks sometimes because uh, people aren't projecting ahead to what kind of players will be valuable in the next five years. Yeah. Um, so I don't, when was Shake draft? 2000 and... He was in the 2018 draft, but he was with like the G League most of that year. And then last year when when Ben Simmons got hurt is when he really started to get those consistent minutes. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think it'd be interesting. I, I, I should have looked at the 2018 draft. Like, it'd be interesting to see the guys that were drafted ahead of him. But um, I don't know. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a guy who's valuable for the reasons that I just said. And within our specific team context, he can be valuable. But on a different team like Denver, like, they might not have a need for a guy like Shake Milton. I, I don't know. Uh-huh. Um, we, we just really need him, you know. <laughs> we need that yeah. kind of guy who can get a bucket. Um, Shake can certainly he can certainly get to a bucket, but scouts might see the fact that he can't pass and be like, oh, well, he can't play point guard, and he's not a great catch-and-shoot shooter, so he can't play shooting guard, so what is he in the NBA? Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's one thing. And then the other thing I think is, that's really, really highly undervalued and even like kind of mocked within draft, uh, draft Twitter at least, um, is this, is the, uh, idea of wiring or mentality. Uh, I think that, and it's because we can't see that, you know what I mean? Like, is we can't see how a guy is wired necessarily. We can't see, uh, his mentality, his psychology, his ability to deal with failure, his ability to, um, kind of, uh, stick around for want of a better word and not give up. Um, that's something that we can't see. And so we can't evaluate it. And so it's like, ah, well, it's not important. I mean, it's, it's pretty well known that the heat who drafted pretty, pretty well in the last and had some pretty good yeah. free agents in Alaska. It's, it's pretty well known that, that more than anything else, the heat place importance in interviews. If you like, you know, they, they, they draft, they, they have a certain process of it. I don't know what it is. It's probably no, not many people do, but like they place a ton of value in that and they've drafted pretty well. So that's like, not, it doesn't mean, that doesn't prove my point, but I just think that people really undervalue mentality and psychology. And I've learned over time that like men, player mentality and player psychology are so much more important than we give them credit for. All right. Well, that's really all I had for you. Uh, anything you want to add before we wrap this up and, and where the listeners can uh, kind of follow you on Twitter and look out for you going forward? Yeah, for sure. Um, so my my Twitter handle is at TJ Farrick, T-J-F-E-R-R-I-C-K. That's pretty much where I, <laughs> I put all my work, quote unquote. Uh, essentially, it's, it's kind of like a uh, me talking out loud to myself. Uh, I have all these ideas in my, I have all these ideas that I need to kind of like link and connect together. Um, and so I do that uh, on Twitter. And oftentimes it ends in, you know, I, every time I get at least one person who like reaches out to me and says, hey, this thing, like, you know, maybe think of this other thing. So it's been really good for connection, but it, I use it basically as a, a means of self-expression sometimes there are threads and sometimes i'll just throw out a tweet a random one like stats don't matter or something like that <laughs> so uh-huh. just whatever i'm thinking at the time so yeah uh twitter uh, send me a dm on twitter um and uh that's where you can connect with me and i, I don't really have any last uh messages i but i wanted to ask you as a as a philly fan uh about the sixers um 
I listened to a little bit of your pod, the, the recent one with, uh, I don't know, two of your friends. You were like, you said the beers were flowing about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, just, I don't know. What, do you, what are your, what's your thoughts on the team this year? On well, Embiid, I mean, Simmons, last Jeff- night, at Evident, without Embiid, they're, they're not going to do anything. Uh, that's what everyone and all my friends were, were talking about all the time, how, you know, Ben brings so much to the game uh, all the time with his defense and, and his ability to rebound, get to the rim, whatnot. But in games like that, especially against one of the worst teams in the NBA, is where he has to step up or Tobias has to step up and, neither of them were capable of doing that so it's really it feels like if neither one of them steps up down the stretch they're just going to kind of waste this MVP caliber season that Embiid's having but uh, it'll be interesting to see going forward if everyone's on the floor and clicking and they share the ball like they have and they knock down threes like they have they're going to be hard to beat even against the Nets uh, because I don't think the Nets have anyone who can guard Embiid but not having him last night is just kind of evident of what they are without him right yeah no i i um with that for sure i mean he's definitely matchup wise in the playoffs against the nets like i don't know who who they have for him (laughs) so yeah but uh but one one thing like in the past ben has been really effective with specific uh lineups when it'd be without any and when he got to play a bunch of games in a row um Mm -hmm. when it'd be was out with like extended injury so when these like when these games not one off games but yeah they're kind of one off games happen where Embiid sits out at night, um, for me not that I disagree with you like I think obviously we do need Embiid but like it's hard to judge based on like those one off games just because everything else is pretty uh, run through him most of the time they're like they're used to having him on the court it would be interesting yeah. it would be interesting to see Ben with this lineup with uh, you know Embiid was out with it for ten games with a. Uh, minor injury and see what uh-huh. happens. Um, but yeah, no, last night wasn't pretty. <laughs> yeah. That was not pretty. And then the last thing I want to ask you is about Carson Wentz. What's... So touch a touchy subject. I I don't know what to do. I think they have to bring him back just because of how much how much money they invested in him. But uh, it just every it seems like every Sunday there's a there's another story out about him about and it just doesn't sound like he's as good of a person as it seems like in the in the media that he was made out to be, uh, at least from just like a, a team perspective. Right. What what happened to him? That's my like that's my uh, question. <laughs> I I really I I wish I could tell you. Ever we all thought we had someone for the next fifteen years and. Yeah, I'm not. A, I'm an Eagles fan. Obviously, I don't I don't really listen to anything any of the coverage that much. But like it just seems uh-huh. to me that it's it's all mental. Yeah, like uh, there's a lot of plays where I played I played JV high school football and it's like a simple little three yard out and I, I feel like I could I, I I know I probably couldn't but it's just something that looks like so simple that you could just a three yard little out and, and he's throwing it into the bleachers so yeah you can't get the ball out of his hands like it, it's it's like a kid yeah. it's like it's not the yips necessarily but he either can't get it out of his hands or he misses the throw uh huh so it's a very confusing thing. It's it's like he can't. It's like a. It's like someone who can't make free throws. It's it's really yeah. similar to that. That's it was it was tough to watch, but yeah. uh, I think you're right. I think we are stuck. <laughs> yeah. But uh, um, thanks, uh, thanks, man, for having me. Time. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. For sure.
Best of luck uh, going forward at Swarthmore and look forward to uh, following you along the way. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Ryan. Really appreciate you having me on.